And today we're starting a new sermon series called Unsubscribe. And the heart behind this series is kind of a takeoff of, have you ever gone into your email and just been kind of depressed at how much junk mail is there? You know, all sorts of stuff that comes every day that you might not care about. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget that there is this great function where you can go and unsubscribe from things that you maybe signed up in the past. Maybe there was a coupon you wanted to get, maybe a newsletter, but suddenly you just get inundated with all sorts of mail and junk mail, and you can opt out. You can go and unsubscribe. And so in life, I think each one of us accumulates a lot of junk in our lives. A lot of us have things that pile up over time. And when we look at scripture and what God wants to do in our life is he wants to help us unsubscribe from some of those unhealthy behaviors, from some of those unhelpful ways of thinking. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to look at how do we unsubscribe from worry And how do we unsubscribe from hurry and grudges and perfection and jealousy? But today, as we talk about worry, I think there are all sorts of different things that we might say we could worry about, that we could have some anxiety about, that we might even be afraid of. And today, as we dig into Psalm 27... We're going to see how David, as he writes this psalm, deals with a lot of different fears and anxieties, but then he identifies how looking to God can help us overcome any of those worries and anxieties and fears. So what do you worry about? What keeps you up at night? What is something that you're afraid of? Life is full of uncertainty, isn't it? There's all sorts of different reasons that we might be fearful, that we might have anxiety. And it comes in a lot of different levels, right? It can be, you know, just a little bit of apprehension about maybe a meeting coming up the next week. Or it can be all-out dread or terror about something scary coming up in the future. Now, our worries, of course, start at a very young age, but they look different, I think, as we age, right? For a child, what are they worried about? They might be worried about storms. They might be worried about where their parents are, maybe worried about their friends. When you get to your teenage years, the worries change, right? You might be worried about rejection or humiliation or not fitting in or maybe failure, And then when we we become adults, we might have different worries, worry about disease or death or financial uncertainty or broken relationships or crime or job security or aging and so on. I think each each part of life, we especially struggle with control. We've talked about that in the last couple weeks. We can be worried about what can we control and what can't we control And how the future is uncertain. But I think if we're truly honest, every one of us would say we struggle with worry and fear throughout our life. Now, I always thought it was amazing to watch my kids when they were at a young age. And maybe you've seen this before in your own kids or in your grandkids. You know, when kids are really small, they're not always sure if they should be worried or if they should be afraid. And so they often look back to their parents to take their cues. 
You know, they're stepping into a new environment, maybe a playground or another place, and they're not quite sure. And so what do they do? They look back, and they try to make eye contact with their parents or someone that they trust. And if they see a confidence in your face, then they go forward boldly. On the other hand, if they see worry and fear in your face, then they develop that same worry or fear. I always thought it was funny also to watch kids that, you know, maybe they fall down or something happens, and for a split second before they decide how to react, again, they look back at their parents. And there are those parents that, you know, overreact, and when the kid sees that, well, then they overreact. And there's other parents maybe that are a little more calm and laid back, and the kid kind of takes that on. It's so important, even from a young age, where we choose to look where we place our trust, where we find our confidence. Now, when we get older, we have to process these things by ourselves, right? We don't typically maybe look to our parents. But it still matters where we choose to focus our eyes, where we choose to turn our eyes when those situations rise up. Now, sometimes when we face fear and worry in our life, we might just choose to close our eyes, You know, we're just going to close our eyes and hope it all goes well. There are other times when maybe we try to stare it down. We've got a fear or an anxiety. We're going to stare it down, and we're going to motor through it and show our strength and our courage. But I think there's other times that we're much more like a child, and we try to look to something else to take our cues. We try to look somewhere else to find confidence Now, people find a lot of different ways to try to get through their fear and anxiety. You know, some people look to money and figure they can just buy their way out of trouble. Other people try to look to relationships, you know, if we can just depend on someone else. Maybe some people turn to the government. Some people turn to books or self-help. Other people that turn to unhealthy things like alcohol or drugs. Sometimes we might try to be overprotective, and other times we might try to be more bold. But the thing is, no matter where we turn in the things of this world, none of it, in the long run, can truly help us overcome all of our worries and our fears. So when you come across those fears and those worries in your life, where do you tend to turn your eyes Where do you tend to focus your energy? Who do you turn to? What do you turn to? Well, today I want to encourage you to look at the words of Psalm 27 that David wrote thousands of years ago, but I think are so applicable and so important for us today. And I'm going to give you the main idea of the psalm right off the bat. So if you feel like you just want to take a nap or something for the next 20 minutes, feel free. So here's the big idea. Psalm 27 teaches us to focus on God and your worries and your fears will disappear. Focus on God, turn your eyes to him, and your worries and your fears will disappear. John Stott is a famous theologian And he wrote about how comforting the words of this psalm are. It starts out by saying, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Why should I even worry? The Lord is the stronghold 
of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? John Stott talks about a man named James Harrington, who was one of the first bishops on mainland Africa in the 1800s. He finally arrived at the shores of Lake Victoria, where immediately he was seized by a tribe, and he was put in prison and tortured. Immediately he got a horrible fever, and he was delirious with pain. As he laid in his jail cell, he was gnawed upon by rats, and he faced death at any moment. And what he did all day long is he found strength in reading through the Psalms. And on October 28th, the day before he died a martyr's death, he wrote one sentence in his journal. He said, I am completely broken down and brought low, but I am comforted by Psalm 27. That's how powerful these words can be. Focus on God and your fears and your worries will disappear. Remember when Peter stepped out of the boat in faith and he started to walk towards Jesus. He's walking on the water. He kept his eyes fixed on his Lord and Savior until he started to fear, until he experienced anxiety and he let his eyes wander and he began to sink. Again, it's so important where we choose to turn our eyes, where we choose to focus. We're all going to face fear. We're all going to have anxieties in our life. And so we have a choice to make. Are we going to choose to just focus on the problem or the obstacle that's in front of us? Or are we going to keep our eyes fixed on God, who can truly take away our worries and our fears for good? So let's dig into Psalm 27. Again, you can look inside your bulletin and follow along. And we're going to start with just the first three verses, where David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. David is able to express complete confidence in God. He has an absence of fear in a very fearful situation. I mean, he's talking about his flesh being eaten. I hope it's just a metaphor. Through all of his struggles, he keeps his eyes fixed on God and who God is. And it makes all the difference. Now, there are three powerful images that David uses to describe God in these first three verses. He says he is light, and he's salvation, and he's a stronghold. First off, light. Isn't there something comforting about light? Darkness can be full of mystery and uncertainty, and it can make us think something's hiding or something's hidden that could jump out at us. But light always eliminates the darkness. Light brings clarity. It brings truth. It brings reassurance. It's no mistake that again and again throughout the Bible, God is described as light. 
For David, his fear begins to disappear when he sees the light of God working in the darkness. But then he goes on and he says, God is salvation, which means he is our rescuer and he's our deliverer. God's not a casual observer. He's not sitting back just watching things take place. He is actively engaged in the world and in our lives. He's powerful and he's strong and he's able and he will rescue us from our fears and our anxieties, our enemies, and even our sin. The Lord is our light. He's our salvation and our stronghold. A stronghold is a fortress or a harbor. It's a place to seek shelter when you're in a storm. When I was in college, every summer I was a camp counselor out in southeastern Minnesota, southwestern Minnesota. And a few times during the summer, there would be a huge storm that would develop and come across the lake at our camp. And it seemed to always be about one in the morning. And so it meant we had to take all of the campers down into our storm shelter. Now, many times I was with fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, and we would have to wake them up. And so they were kind of trying to get their bearings, and we'd have to walk them down into a cellar. Some of them would instantly start crying. Some of them would want their mom or their dad. And so what we would often do is first have them touch the walls because they were cement block and they were thick. And we tried to tell them how strong the shelter was. And the next thing we would do is have the people who could play guitar get their guitars out and we would start to sing camp songs, praise songs to God about our confidence in who he is. The thing about a stronghold is that the bigger the storm, the bigger the stronghold needs to be. I mean, you don't want to be in a tent in the middle of a hurricane, right? Well, David is saying in this psalm that we don't need to fear because we have the most secure stronghold in the world. We have the greatest refuge that there is, because God is so strong and able and powerful. And when you consider who he is, then our storms don't even seem to be that big. Now before we go on, I want you to notice a troubling word that pops up in verse 2. At least it's troubling for me. It's the word when. It says when these things happen, not if they happen. And there's another word that's troubling in verse 3, where it says though. It doesn't say maybe. It says though these things happen. Turning to God doesn't mean an absence of trouble or obstacles or fears or worries. But what it does mean is that he promises to be with us through every up and down of our life. No matter what we're going through, he will shine his light and he will rescue us, and he will protect us. Let's move on to verses 4 through 6. And here again, we see David focusing on where we fix our eyes. Where are you going to choose to look? He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. 
and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of, tru- in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. See, he's talking about living in God's presence and recognizing his beauty around us and listening to his voice. Let me ask you, what's the most beautiful thing that you have witnessed or recognized this past week? It could be something you saw. Maybe it was a sunrise or a sunset. Maybe it was some flowers in your garden. Maybe it was something you tasted, an incredible meal or a great dessert. Maybe it was something you heard, a perfect symphony. Maybe it was words of love from a spouse or a child or a friend. Maybe it was at work where a project came together in exactly the right way. Or maybe a new opportunity came up that you get to dive into. Maybe it was something relational. It was a hug from a loved one or a smile from someone or the squeeze of a child's hand. Theologian N.T. Wright calls all of these things signposts. Signposts of God's presence and love. All of these beautiful things help us get a glimpse, help us recognize the beauty of God and his presence in this broken and chaotic world. God's beauty overwhelms us, and it includes his faithfulness and his love and his grace and his power. And when we experience beauty, it helps us to focus back on him, to not let our fears and our anxieties overwhelm us. Now, because of his close relationship with God, because of this connection that he sees throughout the world, David is able to lift up his head with confidence. And in verse 6, I love this image. He says he's able to sing for joy amidst his troubles. He's got armies coming. He has enemies at his door. And yet David sings songs of praise. And this isn't nervous whistling. This is an all-out praise song because of who God is. You see, again, he's saying, looking to God, turning your eyes to him, changes everything. If you go on further into the psalm, we'll jump to verse 8. David continues to talk about where to look. In verse 8, he says, you have said, seek my face. And so my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Again, it's the importance of where you look when you're in trouble, when you have worry or fear. Seek God's face. Seek his help. Seek his power. It's your most valuable resource. David is saying again and again and again, it matters where you choose to look because you will find the confidence that you need in God and God alone. And because of that, if we jump to verse 13, 
David is able to say, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When we make sure that we fix our eyes on God and who he is and how he's working in our life, we too can be confident, just like David. We can be confident that we will see his goodness and we'll see him working, even today. And then in the final verse, verse 14, David finally says, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. Now, we might hear that and say, well, that sounds so passive. It doesn't sound active at all. I mean, are we just supposed to sit back and let life happen to us? But really what David is implying is that it's to wait with great confidence and trust and reassurance. It's not passive at all. It's to trust in God's power and his plan and his purpose that he's working all things for good. And it's because of this trust that we can have courage and we can have strength and we can continue to step forward in life. We can let God handle our fears and our anxieties and it frees us up to live boldly for him. It reminds me of a story that I read in a book by one of my favorite authors, John Orberg. John shares, many years ago, I was walking in Newport Beach, a beach in Southern California, with two friends. Two of us were on staff together at a church, and one was an elder at the same church. So we walked past a bar where a fight was going on inside, and then the fight spilled out into the street, just like an old western. Several guys were beating up on another guy, and he was bleeding from the forehead. So we knew we had to do something. So we went over to break up the fight. I don't think we were very intimidating. All we did is walk over and say, hey, you guys, cut that out. It didn't do much good. Then all of a sudden, they looked at us with fear in their eyes. These guys who were beating up on the one guy started to slink away. I didn't know why until we turned and looked behind us. And out of the bar came the biggest man I had ever seen. He was something like six feet, eight inches, 300 pounds, and maybe 2% body fat. Just huge. We called him Bubba. Not to his face, but afterwards when we talked about him. Bubba didn't even say a word. He just stood there and flexed his muscles. You could tell he was hoping they would try to have a go at him. And all of a sudden, my attitude was transformed. And I said to those guys, you better not let us catch you coming around here again. <laughs> I was suddenly a different person because I had a great big bubba. I was ready to confront with resolve and firmness. I was released from anxiety and fear. I was filled with boldness and confidence. I was ready to help anyone that needed helping. I was ready to serve wherever it was required. Why? Because I had a great big bubba. I was convinced I was not alone. I was safe. And I was convinced that if I had bubba with me 24 hours a day, I would have a fundamentally different approach to life. If I knew that bubba was behind me all day long, you wouldn't want to mess with me but he's not. 
I can't count on Bubba. You see, again and again, the writers of Scripture pose this question for us. How big is your God? When we refuse to give up control of our lives, or when we're afraid of what it might mean if we were to truly follow God with all of who we are, really what we're doing is making him smaller. And the thing is, a small God means we don't have to listen to him. And a small God means we can mold him into our own creation. And a small God means we have to do things by ourselves because we can't really depend on him. But again and again, King David in the Psalms and throughout Scripture, we're reminded that the one who is greater than Bubba has come. And you don't have to wonder whether or not he'll show up because he's always, always there. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to live life in hiding because you have a great, big, strong God. And he's calling you to do something. And before you let that scare you, well, consider where you're focusing your eyes. Consider where you're looking today. There's one more verse included inside your bulletin. It's Hebrews 12, 2. Where the writer of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, when we turn our eyes to Jesus, when we look to him as our light and our salvation and our stronghold, then our worries and our fears will be overcome and our sins will have no more power because of the cross and the enemy has no more power because Jesus is victorious and there is no person, place, or thing in the universe who can rival his power. And as we stay focused on him, as we fix our eyes on him, we can live confidently and we can live boldly because we get to share in his victory. So church, I want to invite you this week to take the time, maybe numerous times, but take the time to stop and consider where are you focusing your eyes? Where are you looking? Maybe at the end of the day, take an inventory of the ups and the downs that you've experienced, and then consider, where were you looking? Because as Psalm 27 teaches us today, if you focus on God, your worries and your fears will disappear. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for how big and powerful and creative and loving and graceful you are, how you promise to walk with us every step of our life through the ups and the downs. 
God, help us to trust you more. Help us to remember to consider where we are looking, especially as we face fears and worries. Help us to stay fixed on you. Help us to always remember how deep and wide and long and high your love is and how you've shown us that love in sending your only son Jesus to die for us so that we can live with confidence and victory. God, as we go into our week, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us to radiate your love wherever we go. Help people to experience your everlasting love shining through us wherever we go. God, we pray for those in our church community and beyond who are grieving the loss of a loved one or going through other struggles in their life. God, wrap your loving arms around them. Give them reassurance. Give them peace. Give them comfort. And God, use us as the body of Christ to help lift each other up, to help support each other and point each other back to you. God, we also pray for our ministry partners today, Evergreen Church and New Hope and Urban Homeworks in Minneapolis. We thank you for their ministry. We ask that you give them strength and courage to live out your mission where you've planted them. And we pray that more people would come into your kingdom through their service and their mission. And so God, we thank you for who you are and all you've done for us and all you continue to do for us. And we pray this boldly in the powerful name of Jesus. And now let's join together in praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.